This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise, I'm Lois Griffiths. Martin and I are honoured to be joined here in the Plains FM studio by Christchurch resident Rob Green. Rob and his wife Kate Deuce have recently retired as co-directors of the Disarmament and Security Centre based here in Christchurch. Well, both Kate and Rob were participants at the 2017 UN conference in New York that wrote the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, sometimes called the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty. This treaty prohibits the development, testing and possession of nuclear weapons, as well as using or threatening to use these weapons. Welcome to Earthwise, Rob Green. Thank you. Well, Rob, the Nuclear we- Weapons Ban Treaty came into effect on the 22nd of January 2021, that's last year, when 50 countries ratified it. Is that correct? I think that's roughly right, and there have been more since then. Um, I, I don't have a complete update. But the what about the nuclear countries themselves, the nuclear-powered countries? Oh, no, they... They do not like that treaty. And is this sort of typical UN? I mean, what does the treaty of a UN mean? Does that oblige everybody to? Well, to... it was negotiated by uh, some 122 countries in 2017. Very exciting. I was there um, in the United Nations. But they, of course, were all non-nuclear. And, um, and what they are up against is... Um, Intransigence, basically, by the five permanent, um, uh, well, they call themselves permanent five of the United Nations, which in in turn uh, gives the lie to the problems that the United Nations has because the nuclear powers have all um, uh, made sure that they have a permanent status and they control the agenda and the discussion uh, in the United Nations on nuclear weapons. Um, Then you have growing frustration among the rest of the world uh, because they um, have promised to get rid of these nuclear weapons. They have reneged on their promise. They promised back um, in the 1960s, and here we are um, now with new nuclear threats um, relating to Ukraine. So um, this is what um, uh, actually provoked the uh, anti-nuclear countries to um, break out and to separately um, negotiate this treaty, uh, which is stronger than the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is the one the nuclear powers like because they designed it, they negotiated it, and basically then they have failed to comply with it anyway, and that means that they can have their nuclear weapons forever. Yes, nuclear weapons are so frightening. It seems like what on earth took it so long to, to, to even reach this stage? Because it's now 77 years, isn't it, since the, the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and then Nagasaki. That's right. And um, I'm just curious, was this bombing of Japan a war crime? Oh, yes. But, of course, um, the whole idea of war crimes didn't really um, get into um, motion until after World War II, when the victors um, decided to punish um, the losers. Um, and they, but they set up the Nuremberg 
um, trials um, f against the main uh, surviving leaders um, of Nazi Germany. And from there, they developed the Nuremberg Principles, which were are magnificent principles. But of course, they're meant to be for the enemy only, not for the victors and the winners. And in fact, I should have added the bombing was in July 1945. The war was about over, wasn't it? August, uh, August, sorry, yes. August 1945. Uh, it, it was indeed. And um, there is a, a lot of history now which has been revealed, declassified, about how Japan was actually um, preparing to negotiate um, uh, rather than um, hang on uh, in the uh, World War II. Uh, but of course, the Americans had spent a massive amount of money on the Manhattan Project uh, in total secrecy, and they were determined to test those bombs. And they were different. The first bomb, I think, was the uranium bomb uh, against Hiroshima, and then they dropped the plutonium bomb against Nagasaki um, uh, uh, three days later. And so it was actually a, a grotesque um, scientific experiment. Um, and it was also a way of telling the rest of the world uh, who was going to be in charge after World War II. It is grotesque. And then more to it, they, they were testing nuclear weapons in, in well, the Marshall Islands. They weren't at war with the Marshall Islands. Well, Marshall Islands, of course, are a protectorate of the United States. So they made full use of that. Um, but it was well away from the mainland United States, which might have um, had a bit of radioactivity and, and problems. And of course, the, the British and the French followed suit. And the British in uh, Kiribati, which um, used to be called Christmas Island, and that Kiribati is, of course, the local um, name for Christmas, and, um, and also the French in Mururoa in Tahiti. So one would have thought, after this horrible incident, August 1945, that there would have been a strong movement to ban nuclear weapons, and yet there, there are actually even more countries have nuclear weapons. How many countries have nuclear weapons now? If I may just come back straight away yeah. and say that it certainly was, it spawned an anti-nuclear movement. Um, it, it grew first um, in, um, actually in Britain, it was the pioneering country where um, some very fine um, leaders, including um, Bertrand Russell, came out in the 1950s and then was supported um, by others. Um, uh, like there was a Polish refugee, uh, who I've forgotten the name of, now, Rotblatt, Joseph Rotblatt, um, who had been actually um, a scientist working on the Manhattan Project. Mm. And when he discovered that it was going to be used, when he thought it was only going to be used as a deterrent and not to be actually dropped, then he came out against it. And he was a very brave man, and I had the privilege of meeting him several times before he died. Um, and so, yeah, so basically what you have is uh, nuclear weapons being used as a uh, power control um, mechanism and status symbol. A status symbol, well, and um, so which, which countries have them then? Well, you have what's called, as I mentioned, the Permanent Five, who are, um, it's, it's basically the United States, Russia, China, UK, and France. Um, and then you have, after that, their non-nuclear uh, allies, and there are about um, nearly 30 of them uh, in NATO. And then you have non-NATO um, uh, supportive allies in Australia and Japan and South Korea. 
And Israel, of course. Oh, yes. Ah, well, Israel is out on its own because uh, the Americans actually didn't like um, the Israelis getting the bomb. But, of course, there's a very strong Zionist drive to get the bomb because of the way they felt they could blackmail the world to get what they wanted, and it's been very successful in that respect. Um, So there was terrible duplicity um, in the United States about and France about letting them have secrets um, in order to be able to build their own bomb. And now, of course, they're um, making, um, you know, mayhem um, with that. I think it's important to mention Israel because... Very much so. People are afraid to even talk about Israel in a negative way. that's right. They, they, now, link it, they link it to the Holocaust, but of course they are now, I'm afraid, um, adopting the same um, methods as um, the Nazis that, mm. that um, molested them. Now, even if nuclear weapons are never used intentionally, there's a risk of countries thinking, well, say, thinking they were under attack and thus retaliating. And there have been close calls like this, haven't there? Yeah, indeed. And we've just been um, commemorating because no way have we been celebrating the um, 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis Mm. in 1962, uh, which was the first time that um, we nearly came to Armageddon. Well, I was living in America at the time. I mean, there there used to be such fear of nuclear war then. And uh, I lived near near Washington, D.C., near the Potomac River. Imagine Russian submarines coming up the Potomac, and I was just in school. We were taught... (laughs) What you do, you get under your desk and put one hand behind your oh, neck. Oh, I know. It was absolute paranoia. and and But it was justified because there was a lot of um, very nasty behavior going on in a mad nuclear arms race. But fortunately, uh, we have um, since learned that there were two um, actual, very sane, intelligent leaders in charge of the Soviet Union um, in t- terms of Khrushchev and in charge of America um, uh, Kennedy, um, who realized what they were into, and they both pulled back, but they had to do it in secret. Um, or certainly the Americans did, but Razawas, they would have been um, uh, thrown out of power, uh, which again is a terrible indictment on the American system. Wasn't there an incident too of, of um, a Russian submarine off Cuba that thought it was being attacked? Well, that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I've got here, um, I've, I've been showing you, the, there's uh, the wonderful coverage of this. In um, It's a, a British magazine, actually. It's called Warships International Fleet Review. Wow. It's very militarist. Um, I wouldn't expect you to subscribe to it. Uh, but um, <laughs> it actually covers very well um, the uh, terrible crisis. It's got good coverage, good photographs. Uh, But it also describes, uh, it's got an article here by a former submarine commander in the British Navy, um, Robert Forsyth, who I am conferring with almost daily at the moment. And we're working together on trying to um, generate new um, energy and arguments uh, to challenge the British nuclear arsenal, especially with the chaotic British leadership um, going on at the moment. Um, but we've also got another super, uh, former submarine commander uh, from the British Navy who um, was involved and, and describing their experience at the time. And, and particularly, um, uh, Robert Forsyth um, uh, gives a, a lot of um, attention to um, a remarkable Russian, a Soviet um, political officer whose name was um, Akipov. Uh, and um, he was uh, he was Vasily Arkhipov, 
Um, and interestingly, in all the Soviet submarines at the time, there was a commanding officer, but then there was a political officer who was an experienced submarine man. Well, he was on board. He was yeah. on board, and yeah. he gave political guidance to the commanding officer. Mm. And he was crucial in actually restraining the commanding officer from responding to very provocative depth charge attacks by the American destroyers who had found them. They had detected the submarine. This was all near in Cuban waters. It was, it was, it was in international waters, but it was because uh, basically um, <clears throat> the, the uh, Khrushchev had learned that the Americans had secretly installed nuclear armed missiles um, on the border of Turkey that could reach Moscow. And, and this had been done um, behind their back without warning them, a direct threat to um, the uh, Soviet system. And so Khrushchev responded by sending um, nuclear armed ballistic missiles to Cuba because Cuba was the one place in um, near to the American mainland from which um, the Soviets could threaten the United States in the same way as the United States was threatening um, the Soviet Union from Turkey. And so the way out of that crisis, when um, the uh, Americans brought it to a head and because um, they found their submarine and the submarine had got nuclear armed torpedoes, would you believe? Unbelievable. Uh, we never had those, but uh, absolutely stupid thing to have, but it just shows the craziness about nuclear weapons, was that these nuclear armed torpedoes, they were going to fire one at an American destroyer and is in retaliation for being depth charged. Uh, but the problem was, if it had actually hit this American destroyer, it wouldn't just have uh, blown up the destroyer, it probably would have blown up that submarine as well. So it would have mm. been a complete own goal because they're not military weapons, these things. These are terror devices that just blow up the entire battlefield and leave it a radiated wasteland. So uh, there was a much craziness. Unfortunately, both leaders um, realized just in time and pulled back. Well, this, this was 60 years ago we're talking about. Absolutely. 60 years ago that could have came close to a war, nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia. Yep. So what's changed? This looks like deja vu to the current yeah. present day, doesn't it? Well, but what of course has happened is that they basically they haven't learned because they are so um, determined to keep these um, appalling devices uh, because it's all about manipulation of power. I think it's to do with money as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Military-industrial complex. This is top of the range, the, these the, uh, these weapons. That was the phrase of Eisenhower, was it? I think so. Ye yes. yes, he warned us uh, yes. before he died, I think, uh, mm. about that. His phrase was <coughs> the military-industrial complex. That was his famous It was. Phrase. Well, look at the American taxpayers. Yeah. when they, they need money for education and health. You know, well, I know. In some places, it's sort of third world standard in, America, yes. in the United States. But they've got the bomb. You are listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access Radio. Today's guest is Rob Green of the Disarmament and Security Centre, based here in Christchurch. And now, 60 years after the Cuban crisis, was it 80 years since the bomb was first dropped? Something like 77. that. 77. 77. Okay. <coughs> We've covered that. Yep. Now... Ukraine. Who is actually at war in Ukraine? Is it NATO? Does NATO mean the U.S.? Is it a proxy war? Yes. 
it, well, it's 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 not altogether a war. It's basically it's an operation by um, Russian President Putin to try to stop NATO in its tracks from incorporating Ukraine into NATO, and thereby um, directly threatening a strategic red line area for Russia because Ukraine has a blood-soaked history whereby it's, um, it, it is the country on the southern flank of Russia historically which has been the one warm water outlet for the Russian Navy into the Black Sea. And what Putin, I believe, strategically is engaged upon is, is trying to preserve a corridor from the Russian um, home territory to the Black Sea, which is Crimea. And of course, you've only got to mention the word Crimea, and straight away we go back to another huge war um, in the Victorian era, which is all about empire building, but it was also about threatening Russia. And Britain heavily involved there, of course, in the 19th century, wasn't it? It was, and of course, you had the, uh, it, it was a particular dreadful defeat for the British army, um, and you, you had from there the great Battle of Balaclava, where the British cavalry was sent into an impossible position mm. that in the valley, um, there but, um, for, for, for <laughs> what was it? Um, uh, into the Valley of Death rode the 600 or something. Yes, yes. yes. There's not to reason why. Yeah. There's but to do and die. It's, yes. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extraordinary nihilistic um, tradition which is alive and well in the British military, I can assure you. Back to my question about NATO. Yep. Uh, we're told that the U.S. says it's not at war, really, but NATO's at war, or Ukraine's at war. But it is NATO, and NATO means the U.S.? Have Very much so. Right? It's U.S.-led and U.S.-provided. Uh, uh, um, and this is the um, basically the mechanism by which the United States um, controls the world. And, of course, NATO has been on the march. And we all thought that NATO would fade away when the Warsaw Pact dis uh, uh, disbanded uh, after the Cold War in 1992 uh, ended. And there was, we thought we were going to get uh, some sensible... Um, collaboration between states. So-called peace dividend. Yes. Yeah. And of course, instead, they redoubled and they sent NATO on the march. And so NATO then started um, closing in on Russia. Um, and, um, and then, of course, they've repeated it um, via Taiwan against um, China. And you have NATO now even in the Pacific. So I think we made it quite clear. Even these European countries that we say aren't some of the nuclear countries, they have nuclear weapons stored on them, don't they? They do. There are five um, uh, still. Um, uh, these are allegedly non-nuclear um, members of NATO, and they are Belgium, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, and Turkey. And there are 150 of these mm -hmm. free-fall uh, nuclear bombs which are, which are shared out to those countries. And, th and this is what has been called in some ways NATO's nuclear glue. This is a way of holding, it's like a mafia, holding these countries under the uh, control of the United States. And that's what it's all about. And they're, they're now modernizing them. Yeah. As if they needed modernizing. I know. <laughs> oh, well, they've been there a long time. And yeah. they, they have to, they do wear out these poor old nuclear weapons. 
especially because, as, as you would know, Martin, um, the nuclear material does have a decay aspect yes. to it, and so they have to have the actual fissile um, heart of the bomb uh, renewed. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. Now, um, what we're hearing on the news is that Russia's threatened to use nuclear weapons if it feels existentially threatened. But what about the U.S.? Does the U.S. have a first-strike policy? Yes. What does Biden's nuclear posture review tell us? Oh, yes. I mean, nothing has changed, effectively, from Trump. It's just it's presented in a more gentle way. Um, and, of course, it's very scary to actually envisage that um, Trump could be back. Um, but, no, the British also have a first-use um, policy. Do they? Oh, heavens, yes, they all do. Uh, or they will neither confirm nor deny um, because they wish to have this option that uh, because they feel that, um, you know, they, they haven't got enough conventional weapons because nuclear weapons cost so much. They're cutting back on the conventional weapons because of the cost of that too. And so basically what you've got is um, uh, spinning it. Uh, but I want to, um, if I may just read an extract yes. from this magazine. I find this scary. Okay. Uh, and you can, because I can say this is about Putin and, and Ukraine. His threats have been directed at deterring NATO from more direct action via conventional warfare in the Ukraine, which incidentally may well encourage other states to acquire them for similar reasons. If Russia can stop the West's military from acting with mere threats of nuclear weapon use, perhaps it is a ploy that will one day work for them too. So where does NATO now stand and what should it do? To threaten and then possibly launch a retaliatory nuclear strike against Russia would result in further escalating nuclear exchanges that NATO cannot seriously contemplate initiating unless prepared to turn Europe into a wasteland. So all the billions of dollars and pounds spent on nuclear deterrence are potentially shown to be ineffectual when faced with the leader of a post-Cold War state who does not play by the established rule book. And of course, um, the attempt by the non-nuclear states to um, negotiate the Treaty on Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is hated by the mm. um, nuclear powers because this directly challenges their attempt to keep the nuclear um, bandwagon going. But basically, what if I could just continue, uh, what, um, this is my submarine commander recommending, and he was involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis himself as a young submariner as in a British submarine. The USA should withdraw all of its nuclear weapons. Um, and then thirdly, the UK and France should cancel their respective nuclear forces. The aim should be to avoid giving an extremist national leader in, in Russia the, the, the excuse um, to actually take control um, through manipulating massive grievances against the West. And basically... We have got to make sure that we preserve Russian national pride because otherwise um, these, this is a very unstable time. And in many ways, I believe it, we are in a more dangerous time at the moment than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. And yeah. as we know that the global world opinion <laughs> want diplomacy, they want a, a, a different world. And um, yet, what is this thing I've heard about called steadfast hope? You mean Steadfast Noon? Operation Steadfast Noon is the latest NATO 
nuclear deterrence exercise. It started on the 17th of October. It ran until the 30th of October. It was hosted by Belgium as one of the non-nuclear states that has to actually um, share nuclear weapons with the Americans because this is a way of keeping Belgium in and down. Um, and it's basically... Uh, was conducted mainly by air forces over the North Sea, over UK, and would you believe American B-52 bombers took part from North Dakota. This was they flew risk. all the way from North yeah. Dakota to the North Sea and over UK non to non simulate... Non-stop. Yeah. Yep. Ah. So that this was, was very recently. Yep, that, was, uh, that finished just... A few weeks ago. Ten days ago. Just the opposite direction that peace activists want in global world opinion. I well, well I'd, I'd make a, an extra point here is that there was a real suspicion that this was deliberately organized uh, to, to um, uh, threaten Putin. Um, and, um, and, of course, it's been hotly denied. Just We need to say something positive. Uh, just change, not changing the subject. Taking place in Egypt now is COP27. And um, Code Pink and others are arguing that the world's military emissions should not be exempt from reducing arguments. And uh, can't the world see, it's my own theory, that climate change and nuclear war are both existential threats? They jolly well are. But of course, you don't talk about uh, nuclear weapons being an existential threat from our side. It's only the bad boys that, yes. uh, that basically uh, make it an existential threat. But you're absolutely right. Well, I actually um, perversely feel that Mr. Putin has done us a favor because um, the whole problem of nuclear weapons was beginning to fade from mainstream um, attention. Um, and now he's frightened us all back into thinking about them seriously and, and getting updated and realizing that they're even more dangerous now. And so we mustn't um, give up our efforts to get rid of them. And I can tell you there's a lot of work going on uh, to do that. Including by yourself and your lovely wife, Kate. Well, no, uh, we, we're retired, but we no, have handed over. But we have handed over to young ones yeah. who are taking it oh, okay. on. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Rod, for talking with thank us. Thank you. Uh, and uh, let's just hope it's almost Christmas <laughs> that we can have a peaceful world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, from us at Earthwise, goodbye. Bye.